I, I recall a young man I spoke to who was working on prison visits in one of the prisons in which I, I was doing this research and he was a great big guy and he, he'd served in the armed forces and so on and he said when he joined the prison service he said you know the governor took one look at me and said oh you're a big lad you'll be good for doing control and uh, um, restraint cell searches um, security that's you and he said okay so you know off he went and did that for for some time but he was really really keen to work with families and and uh, sort of supporting family contact in um, um, visits which is what he was doing when I, I was speaking to him but he said it took him years to persuade the powers that be where where he was that even though you know he looked like this and he had this background that that he could do this work well and once he was given the chance he demonstrated that he had all the skills that you know, um, were needed there. Hi I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, 6 o'clock UK time, for a fresh podcast. We're here today to talk about uh, prisons and the military and the crossover between the two, which is a fascinating subject. Dominic and Jennifer, would you like to say just a, a few words to introduce yourselves? Absolutely, thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. I'm Dominique. I'm um, Professor of Carceral Geography at the School of Geography, Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of Birmingham in the UK. And I've been doing prisons research, I guess, for the last 15 or so years. It seems like a really long time. And this particular topic of interest, I suppose, is something that I've come to over the last three or four years in collaboration with Jen. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. My name is Jennifer Turner and I am the leader of the Crime and Carcerality Research Group at the University of Oldenburg. Um, I am interested primarily in the connections between um, prison and wider society and that's included a wide variety of different things including prison architecture and uh, the kind of cultural manifestations of the inside and outside of prison but most recently um, the prison military complex. Uh, which is what has taken me um, into my most recent collaborations um, with Dominique. Hi, gl really glad to see you both today. Dominique, we really enjoyed the conversation with you last year, which is why we're really glad to, to get you on again to have another conversation with you and, and also with Jen this time to discuss the military. But we wondered if you could tell us a bit about how you came to be studying the significance of the military for the prisons. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I suppose this was not a topic that, certainly not a topic that I planned to do research in. I'm not sure if Jen has a, a different sort of backstory to it, but really it came about for myself through doing other prison research. So specifically, I was doing a project on prison visitation and the impact of that on prisoners' well-being and connection to family and so on. And that obviously involved interviewing prisoners, family members and staff who were in, involved in the visitation process. Um, and then in other um, projects um, at, after that, I've also been speaking to prison staff about you know, um, the design of prisons and the spaces that, that they work in and so on, I guess, related to the topic I was speaking about um, last year. 
And in all of those conversations with staff across those different pieces of, of research, the initial sort of questions would always be, you know, how long um, have you been doing this job and how do you come to be doing this job? They kind of put somebody um, at ease questions, I suppose. And I was struck by how often people would say, oh, well, I was in the army and then, or I was in the RAF and, you know, and then I joined the prison service. And it was never something that I could pursue in those conversations. I guess initially I didn't think it was something particularly of interest, but I heard it so often and could never, because my research project wasn't about that backstory, I could never kind of probe that that background and that, that experience. But again, I heard it so often that I thought this is a thing, you know, why, why don't I know already about the importance of military experience for prison staff. So I suppose that's how I came to the topic. I mean, some of that, that research I was doing with Jennifer, um, and I, I'm, I'm sure that she probably had some similar conversations. And I guess we kind of both came to a realisation that this was perhaps something that merited further um, investigation. And I suppose some of those conversations that I'm sure we'll come on to afterwards gave me at least an indication that this experience might be um, significant and that was there was something more to learn here. Yeah, it's certainly um, a very familiar story for those of us who work in prisons, the number of staff that you encounter with that kind of um, history. I also wondered, I wondered whether either of you had connections to the to the military general based in Germany, I believe. And having lived there in my teenage years because my dad's ex-military, I did wonder if that was how you'd come to be there. Um, sadly, nothing quite as interesting um, as that in terms of my personal history. I, I joined um, the University of Oldenburg a couple of years ago for kind of personal and career uh, progression. Um, but um, strangely enough, now I reflect on on this as part of this this project. I, um, during my university years as an undergraduate, I was in the officer training corps, so I did have some, um, if you can call that military experience, although I suspect it was um, slightly more uh, student orientated, so it did have some other, other connotations to it at the time. Um, but then um, I retired from that for health reasons and actually applied to be um, a prison officer um, and had been entered into the, the fast track um, to governor programme that, that was at that time. Um, and so now I sometimes reflect a little bit on what parts of my my personal and sort of uh, transferable skills set um, was was intertwined with some of the, the things that we will be talking about today, um, but ultimately ended up in academia, researching prisons rather than in the army or um, as a as a prison staff member. That's a really interesting, interesting connection, though. Can, can you define what you mean by military? Is that, that does come with certain assumptions and stereotypes when it's applied to justice, doesn't it? Yes, it does, absolutely. I mean, shall I begin, Jen? Or, yeah. Um, I think it's a really difficult term to define. I, mean, I think we're, we're clear about what the military is when we're talking about, you know, the, the armed forces of a, of a state, the army, the RAF and so on. There are also obviously other kinds of military organisations which are not kind of state-sponsored, um, paramilitary. There's all sorts of conflict which involves armed forces of different kinds. 
And then there's, I suppose, the notion of what this term means when we apply it to other things. So when we use military as an adjective rather than um, a noun. So what connotations it has, particularly when we apply it to the prison service. And I think one of the things that Jen and I came across quite early on when we started to think about doing some research into this topic was when we were reading criminological research, trying to find out what people knew already about particularly the experience of former military personnel in the prison service as staff, so importantly distinct from veterans in custody. So prison staff who, who had this experience. I think we came across quite a lot of, of stereotyping of what the military might mean and what connotations military experience might have for prison staff. Um, not, it seemed, based on an awful lot of in-depth empirical research. Um, and I mean, we, we, we were, I suppose, quite surprised by how little research appeared to have been done directly on that topic, really exploring it in, in depth. But there definitely seemed to be a sense in which criminologists writing about the prison service and studying prison staff were quite, um, no, well, let's just say they weren't entirely enthusiastic about the potential benefits of um, military experience. And there seemed to be a sense in which when a prison was described as militaristic, that was a bad thing. That was a sort of shorthand for this prison is run on, on too harsh lines. It's too strict. It's, it's kind of it's not um, empathetic and a sense in which there might also be things going on inside that prison that we might not want to see. So this, I suppose, one of the things that we became quite interested in, quite apart from the experience of staff and what influence this might have on the way that they do the job, why is it that people who've been writing about the, the, the prison service have seemed to have this notion that by describing it as military or identifying military tendencies or sort of, um, of characteristics why why are they seeing that as kind of implicitly a negative did you have a sense of what impact that had on ex-military staff that those kind of stereotypes were banded around the justice system i think it's really hard to say i mean i think we see a difference between the way in which academic researchers have written about this topic and maybe the way in which the prison service itself sees it so i think one of the things that we all also did was sort of look into, as far as we could do this, the influence that military personnel or for former um, um, uh, armed forces staff had had on the running of the prison service over quite a long time. And you see some really, really prominent names going back, you know, quite, quite far, who had experience in the armed forces. We are obviously looking at the, the, the times when they were prominent, everybody had served in the armed forces, almost young men had, so it's kind of expected that they would have this experience, but they, they seemed to talk quite a lot about kind of the importance of that experience and what they were bringing to the armed for, to the, the, the um, uh, prison service. So I suppose looking at more contemporary policy discourse and certainly the ways in which um, recruitment drives of which there have been a few over the last few years directly trying to recruit armed forces leavers into the, the 
the prison service, there's quite a lot of sort of talk about the benefits of the discipline that they'll bring, the strength that they'll bring, the ways in which they will support prison staff in trying to do their job well. So I think there's there's perhaps a distinction here between the way in which the prison service and ex-military personnel within it as staff are talked about by the the, the prison service itself and inside of the ministry compared to the way in which academic um, uh, researchers might have been thinking about it on the outside. Thank you. And Jen, can you outline for us some of the ways that the military is intertwined with incarceration within the UK? Is this a pattern that's distinct for the UK or is it relevant to prisons in other countries as well? I mean, thanks for that question, um, Naomi. I think it's a that's a really big question um, to answer, and it might be one that maybe we need to come back to um, after we've we've talked a little bit about some of the some of the things we've been looking at in in detail. Because I think that um, in the course of um, the last year or two of the work, and particularly the writing that um, that Dom and I have been doing, is to think through um, different different associations with with military. Um, more broadly, so of course the the, the most uh, primary way we've been just been discussing is thinking about how prison staff might um, have military backgrounds, and that's really where we started this this project. And as Don explained earlier on, thinking um, through these connections of employment, um, where we'd heard in, in interviews on other projects that that staff had themselves prior career experiences of, of the military. Um, but we also see wider connections between um, not just staff, but also um, perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, the use of um, former military or um, militarily associated uh, buildings um, that become a part of the prison landscape and then perhaps later are transformed into something else and might come back um, into the prison and or military military realm so to speak um so we see a lot of uh prisons being built on former former military bases and also still some um, accommodation blocks today being used um, for various purposes within the prison landscape um, and then we also have these connections more broadly that uh recently dominique and i've been thinking about in terms of um the relationship between prison and war um and how the prison landscape is connected uh, connected to various wider activities of conflict that go on in society. Um, so I think that's quite a broad question to to begin with, and maybe we can um, we can come back to some of those um, some of those in- interesting interconnections as as we go through the rest of our conversation. Thank you. Do, do other countries have such a big um, military contingent amongst their their staff? Roger. I was just going to say I apologise. I hadn't uh, I had covered covered that angle. Um, I think uh, that's hard to tell. Um, we we haven't uh, explored um, other countries' connections, for example, with prison staff yet. But it's something that um, is ongoing with some of our colleagues, um, Rose Ricciardelli and Anna Erickson, um, and a wider team um, of other scholars who are interested in, in prison staff experiences. So at least in that relationship. Um, in terms of prison staff involvement um, in the prison service, we we're still not quite sure yet, but we're we're working towards that. And um, but I'll pass across to to Dom because um, Dom's most familiar with some of these these wider ideas about war and um, conflict and so on. 
Thanks, Jen. I suspect that it's really common. So I suspect that across, across I suppose, what, what we would call prisons in the Western world, that the recruitment of prison staff, of prison staff who have military experiences widespread, certainly um, a very, very quick um, Google will find you lots of images of um, um, American um, prison staff talking in very glowing terms about their experience in the military and what it brings to their their prison work. Um, we suspect it's the case in Canada as well, which is partly where, where, where we're doing some further research with those colleagues that Jem was talking about. And in other contexts, I think we also see connections between the prison and the military through staffing, um, which sort of hark back to the uniformed, sort of male-dominated, rank-oriented nature in many, but not, not all places, obviously, of the military and prison staffing. Um, so some research that I did in the Russian Federation quite a long time ago now, I was really struck there by the linkages between the military, or at least military uniform, military um, address and ranking and so on, and the ways in which people talked about their prison staffing service as being sort of a national service itself. So a sense in which being part of the prison service was only kind of one step away from serving in the armed forces in terms of its it's patriotic duty, if you like, and I mean, there's there's sort of long-standing connections there in the UK as well. So, as I understand it, there are pension benefits if if you move from the armed forces into the prison service in terms of sort of being able to retain a sense of crown service. I don't know quite how that works, but that's certainly something that we've been told by ex forces staff that there was some sort of benefit in staying there and some sense in which this enabled prison staff to kind of stay to an extent within a familiar institution, a familiar sort of um, environment, obviously with other ex-forces staff as well around them. And I think that begins to speak, I suppose, to some of the questions about sort of why do military um, leavers see the prison service as an attractive workplace or why, why have they seen it as such over quite a long period of time when we know that leaving the military can be quite a, a challenging experience itself. There's lots of research that talks about what's called the military to civilian transition and how difficult that can be for people losing the sort of daily structure of the armed forces, being sort of having their, their daily life, you know, um, not, not controlled, but kind of steered to an extent by the institution they are part of and a sense of sort of losing focus, losing direction, um, struggling to kind of cope with everyday life in some cases, obviously not, not for all, of course, but certainly that's a sort of pathway that's talked about really often in relation to veterans in custody, that they haven't coped well with that transition. So I suppose we, we were partly interested in thinking through what does joining the prison service mean for people entering that military civilian transition and what role can it play so is it a sort of um a bit of you know familiarity in various ways and is it a way of maintaining that sense of um camaraderie which seems to be really important within the armed forces can prison sort of re rekindle or um renew some of that sense of um teamwork and um 
collections. Certainly heard prison officers talk about um, them as a service being like the fourth armed force, if you like, and the fact that non-prison service employees are referred to as civilians, I think also kind of like speaks to that kind of um, approach. But I'm, I think it's quite astounding that there hasn't been lots of research onto the influence of the military and armed forces ex-armed forces personnel within the prison service really I'm wondering how much of that has to do with the perhaps more liberal lefty attitude um, and philosophy of many academics and whether there's there's been a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater rather than really digging into something I wish I knew I wish I knew. So we were just really struck by how little there is. I mean, there's some fantastic research that has been done by, by colleagues of ours, you know, and, and uh, elsewhere, looking at it in a great deal of depth into prison staff culture, prison staff identity, the ways in which prison staff culture is sort of um, generated within the workplace, all sorts of things, really, really detailed and, and great work. And in, in most of that, military service is mentioned so it's not overlooked completely but it's that that's never the focus of the research which, which has been done um and you know i wish that i knew why because it, it 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 seems to us that that it's a really important thing and i suppose the more that we looked into it and particularly a paper that that jen was um leading on recently we we looked in in a kind of parallel way at research which had been done into the way that military leavers work in other um, professions when they go into them. So we know, for example, that they go into the um, police quite a lot, they go into teaching, they go into business, so, you know, all, all, all sorts of different areas. And research has been done in those other fields, looking at military leavers and how they do those jobs. And, and it, it finds that military experience is predictive of certain patterns of work. So, for example, being more likely to stick at the teaching um, um, profession than somebody who perhaps is conventionally trained, being more conservative in business. So working in, in certain ways, which researchers who've looked at these um, ex-forces staff, you know, uh, find that, that, that they, they are, are doing. So it, it seemed to us that military services predictive of the ways in which people do their subsequent job. So I suppose we were a little bit um, puzzled as, as, as to why, given that this is the case, why I suppose research into prison staff tends to start with them in the, the prison and it, it doesn't really think about what led them to that point, apart from, for example, to think perhaps about the age at which they are when they join and sort of you know think about you know to what extent does joining the prison service at a very young age which we of course can do here how does that affect um, how prison staff can do their their, their job and that's a, a different but related question I suppose because if someone has done military service first by definition they're older than they might have been had they gone straight into um, prison at the youngest age that they 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 could but as as to why this has been you know, not researched in depth up to now, I don't know, because in that research which we looked at, the, the very brief mentions tended to say things which were quite, which sort of smacked of the military sort of stereotypes, you know, that 
ex-military personnel really aren't suited for this work. They're not flexible enough, they're not able to show um, um, compassion, they're obsessed with control and discipline, they're great at unlocking, locking up, counting heads and pushing, you know, um, people behind their, their doors, but they're not good at the sort of softer, rehabilitative, interpersonal skills, which, you know, we thought, well, that's quite, quite a generalisation, really. Um, and I suppose for me that that didn't resonate particularly with the conversations that I'd had in those early pieces of research where I'd come across former um, military staff and had quite interesting conversations with them. So I, I recall a young man I spoke to who was working on prison visits in one of the prisons in which I, I was doing this research. And he was a great big guy and he, he'd served in the armed forces and so on. And he said when he joined the prison service he said you know the governor took one look at me and said oh you're a big lad you'll be good for doing control and uh, um, restraint cell searches um, security that's you and he said okay so you know off he went and did that for for some time but he was really really keen to work with families and and uh, sort of supporting family contact in um, um, visits which is what he was doing when I, I was speaking to him but he said it took him years to persuade the powers that be where where he was that even though you know he looked like this and he had this background that that he could do this work well and once he was given the chance he demonstrated that he had all the skills that you know, um, were needed there so I suppose that kind of made me think maybe there's more to this perhaps um, perhaps this experience brings more than we would stereotypically think that it does. Perhaps there's there's more to former armed forces personnel than you know just being well disciplined and um, and punctual. I noticed. Thank you. I noticed um, in one of your papers you reference an old colleague of mine, Jane Coltman, who had also been in the army um, and worked with us at Grendon. And and Jane is a very gentle, thoughtful character slightly disorganised. So the opposite end of the stereotype, which I, I guess would be something like Mr Mackay in the the uh, TV programme Porridge. Um, in fact, Porridge mm. contains those two kind of extremes there, doesn't it? So, I mean, I suppose they're, mm. they're all people, aren't they? I mean, I suppose the personal characteristics yeah. vary widely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in, in the study that Jennifer and I did, um, we didn't have the opportunity to in interview people through, through that because of the nature um, of it and the, um, the um, limits that we had on the funding and, and so on. But in the qualitative um, data that we have from that, one of the things that people stressed is, you know, how different people are, that just, just because you have military experience, it doesn't make you, you know, this type, type of person and not that type. And indeed, some of the things that people who weren't in the military, so we we surveyed both people within the prison service who did have this experience and who didn't. And those who, who, who didn't pointed out quite often that people with a military background were able to show empathy and um, um, compassion and sometimes better than those who 
who, 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 who ha haven't got this experience. So I remember particularly a quote from somebody saying, you know, that maybe from the experience of having lost colleagues in theatres of war, military background staff understand really keenly how important it is for prisoners to be able to attend funerals um, and, and perhaps, you know, did differently from those who don't have this experience, which would seem to me, you know, to be counter to the argument that they're not a able to, to show um, um, empathy and so on. Yeah, certainly that's borne out with experience, I think, in terms of some of the best officers that I've worked with have had lots of years of former military experience, but being very empathic, compassionate, creative and adaptive and really being able to work in a very psychological way mm -hmm. uh, within a within a treatment service, which would buck against the idea that they're rigid and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. can only work with routine. Yeah. So... Um, Moving on, um, I, I was wondering about social class, um, and I, I haven't read all of your papers on this subject, but it seems to me that social class doesn't get a huge profile. There's there's a particular reference to um, uh, rural low class people working in the prisons, which seem to Obviously, it wasn't a quote from you, it was a quote from somebody else. Um, but I was remembering how, um, when I was doing my initial training as a social worker, I spent um, um, some time at um, Huntercombe Borstal. And one of the things that struck me was the difference between the governorial staff and the ordinary prison officer staff. And then later on, as I did more work with the prison service, uh, I began to recognise that some of the most senior governors were quite kind of, um, how to put it, gentrified um, yeah, people, really. And I think that's changed quite a lot. Anyway, that's not really a question, but I wonder what you could say about social class among this group. Jan, you... I... Just, I'm thinking. Um, so I suppose, um, yeah, we have seen a change in 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 the way I guess prison prison officers and then particularly for one of the better phrase higher ranking um, or perhaps uh, advanced roles are recruited in the prison service, and so maybe we do see um, a difference in the um, in the nature of of managerial um, positions today in the prison service. In terms of in terms of this this work and the work that we've been doing, um, it has been difficult to, to unpack social class in using your phrase in, in, in relation to um, the prior military service. And um, one of the things that we did look to um, would be things like um, qualifications and um, educational qualifications and whether that was an indicator um, of um, performance of job roles or achievements of certain particular promotional aspects in relation to to, to prison service employment um, and I think what we do see from this study is that we do see um, a tendency for those with military experience to have lower formal qualifications than non-military um, cohorts um, and so uh, 
maybe to that end, are we talking about a set of uh, prison service staff who who are take it, entering the prison service with military backgrounds who have um, less less advanced um, educational experiences and particular experiences, particular life experiences, um, working with with prisoners in, in that role. But what's interesting from the studies that we, that we, um, that we undertook um, was that um, this lower educational attainment was uh, had no influence upon your ability to achieve advanced roles in the prison service. So in theory, we should see the same composition of, of higher, uh, of roles with more responsibility in the prison service. Um, we should see equal numbers of, uh, of military and non-military staff in these governing roles. Um, what that perhaps leads us to understand is that military experience brings with it a different set of um, of qualities and characteristics um, and that those experiences are, are valued. So um, it's very difficult for us to unpick perhaps some of the, the considerations that you might associate with social class, at least if that's what your question was leading towards. You know, we didn't particularly interrogate or cluster against things like income or um, regional area um, of the country. So so we haven't um, been able to unpick some of those nuances. Um, but I think what we're quite clear on um, is that there is some value um, to prior career experiences in the military um, and that despite perhaps lower formal education attainment, um, that is uh, no barrier to, to progression in prison service career. Thank you, that, that's very helpful. And how about um, uh, ethnicity? Um, because my experience of a prison service staff is that they are predominantly, not entirely, but predominantly um, uh, white uh, in background, white British, I suppose. And that's certainly reflective of our sample. Um, but, you know, we uh, were, Dom's already uh, hinted towards kind of restrictions on, on funding and, and the nature of the project. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll admit, I think, quite happily that this was a, a fairly, uh, we, we use the word pilot because I think that's um, uh, most appropriate, but um, I'll call it a pilot with excellent data capabilities, um, but nevertheless, um, a fairly small sample, 228 um, current and former prison staff um, across the country, which um, is is not necessarily going to capture all of the ethnicity nuances, um, but certainly reflective of, of what you've just said there, David, yes, predominantly um, a white workforce. Um, but that's also uh, reflective of um, the demographics of military service more broadly anyway. Thank you. So can you tell us how you conducted your research? Shall I begin? Feel free. I? Yeah. Okay. So, so I suppose we, we put together an online survey which was intended to probe military background, experience, the length of time that somebody had serve the kind of experience they they had 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 whether whether that had involved combat experience or not the rank that 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 they had managed to get to within that service and then it asked a set of questions for those who had had military service about their um military and um 
civilian transition. So their kind of thoughts and feelings upon leaving the military, the intentions they had, the plans they had for the work that they would then go on um, to do. And then a set of questions which explored prison work experience itself and sort of feelings about military experience and what it might mean for those who joined the the the, the, um, the prison service. Importantly, we opened this survey to both people with and without military background. We're in, interested partly to widen the appeal of it, to, to, to try to get as many people to fill out the survey as we could, but also because we thought it was important to learn from people who didn't have a military background, but who were working in the prison service about what they thought about their colleagues who, who did have this, this um, background. And I suppose we did this because partly we just wanted to know how many people have this experience because there isn't any published data on this topic. Although we'd seen in those anecdotal sort of very passing references that, that um, academic researchers had made in the kind of work that we've talked about already, people saying, you know, oh, half of, of, of staff have this experience or more than half have this experience, but never giving us any sources for this information. And it, it seemed to be a sort of an anecdotal kind of you know, finger in, in the air guess about how many there might be. And we thought, you know, it's, it's quite important, you know, to, to understand how many people in the prison service have this experience and also perhaps how much it's changed over time. So particularly by opening up the survey, as Jen has said, to former staff, so those who have left the prison service already, as well as at six prisons, those who are currently working in it, we were able to sort of track back, I suppose, quite a long way back to the 1960s, I think it was, our, our um, our, our respondents who joined the prison service at the uh, earliest point and ask them about the percentage of colleagues who, who they thought when they joined the prison service had um, had this background. And I think what, what we saw through the results of that survey about asking people to, to judge the workforce which they had joined and the, the level of armed forces experience in it, that the percentage of those who, who have this experience has fallen over time from, you know, um, around between 50 to 75% to around one in four now. I mean, one in four is still quite a lot, you know, and it's, we, we always compared this to veterans in custody who are a really important group whose experience within the prison service has been thought about quite care carefully. And one of the reasons why attention has been drawn to it is that it's thought that they are the largest sort of um, um, employer or sorry um, uh, um, employee group in that there's more of them as a sort of a set of, of people with a particular set of prior experience than there are of any other um, sort of job group within the um, prisoner um, um, population and yet the percentage of the prisoner um, population that they make up is much smaller than one in four and yet all this research attention has been directed to them so I suppose the, the more that we we dug into it the more that you know we thought this matters you know um, prison staff's armed forces experience is something that's worth um, researching 
for further, albeit so far we are limited in what we can say by what, what our survey um, asked people about. But, you know, it it did, as, as Jen's hinted at, talk about the ways in which people advance through the prison workforce, how they achieve um, advanced roles. And it, it, it also asked them, I think quite importantly, and, and perhaps Jen can talk um, a bit more on this topic because she did all, all the, the sort of clever stats work here about the attitudes that people hold to what the prison service should be for. So I suppose this, this was one way of us trying to test the assumption that some of our colleagues might have made about what it is that that armed forces service brings to a prison staff member so for example if it's true that they are more sort of power oriented more discipline focused and so on we might assume that if we were to offer them a choice of you know asking is the prison for rehabilitation or punishment or deterrence that they might choose the punishment option but that isn't quite what we found. I mean, Jen, do you want to talk through what our findings said? Yes, let's talk. Uh, let's talk findings. Um, so, I suppose interestingly, again, when we talk, I suppose we talk about this fairly small sample, but then nevertheless, I think um, I should say to all those quantitative scholars out there, um, enough for statistical significance where necessary, according to my various testing strategies. Um, so. The first inherent problem that I think we came to was that we had this cohort um, of whom um, just over, uh, sorry, just under 65% were current staff, um, therefore 35% uh, former staff, but 58% of them had military experience. Now, that's really interesting, but that wasn't enough for us to write into a paper, you know, two thirds of of prison staff have got, have got military experience. Um, we don't know whether our survey was attractive to people who, who had military experience. Maybe they were interested in sharing their views, but then that led us to some um, some interesting uh, statistical need for uh, for uh, balancing out against the bias that might be caused by um, by prior military experience. Um, so we we first looked at their composition, um, looking through which, for example, which forces they'd been part of. Um, Army, Royal Navy, RAF, and so on. Um, and we found that those mirrored um, the general uh, composition of the British Armed Forces more widely, um, predominantly predominantly uh, uh, army leavers um, with interesting nuances across across their different career experiences, the different types of roles that they've done um, within those within those armed, those, uh, armed forces occupations. Um, but what we did see more generally is that we had quite a high number in our cohort um, who had ex- uh, experience with combat roles um, and many that um, had seen combat, which was the phrase that we use, which we had to unpack a little bit in terms of uh, what that actually means. And, and our terminology was loosely related to sort of um, holding a weapon or firing a weapon against uh, against uh, under enemy attack so to speak so we we had a high proportion of um of, of people in our sample who who had experienced um combat um but we were quite interested in this in this transition from from military service uh, to a uh, post military career um a lot we were influenced a lot by wider literature on this and as dominic said earlier on the oftentimes problematic transition from um, 
from military careers to post military careers for for some some parts of um the post military cohort um so we explored a lot why uh, uh explored a lot the many reasons why people left the armed forces and then through to why they um had chosen their their onward career um in this case the prison service and um, so what we found um is that within our cohort of um military personnel working ex military personnel working in the prison service um almost half of the sample of those prison officers had left the military through um through time served so what that means is that they didn't choose to leave the military their their career period had had ended and and they were moving on to a, a, a second career for one of their phrase um the other way that often people can leave the military um is is through voluntary outflow they choose for some reason not to continue their service and then they go on to, to to other things um we compared the the percentage of people who left through voluntary outflow against um the general military leavers um, and we found that you know much more of um, many more people in our sample stayed in the military longer you know I'm paraphrasing here, but does that mean that we have a cohort of prison staff with military experience who are very committed? They're very committed to the, to, to in particular, a crown service, um, and um, they can stay the distance, so to speak. Um, again, I might be generalising for those who leave by by a, by a voluntary alpha, but we seem to have this this cohort of, of, of um, ex-military staff, prison staff who are committed to to a crown Sorry, service. Do you, do you, by in, that do you mean those who stayed until they were no longer able to stay? Exactly. They they, they had no more years left <laughs> available to them. They either aged out um, or had uh, finished a, a maximum contract length. Um, yeah. and if, I, if I can jump in, Jen, I think, I mean, as you've said, that might indicate that this is a particular group of people with a commitment, a resilience... An ability to kind of see out hard times, um, you know, and it might well be that one of the, I mean, if if this is the case and if this has been the case perhaps over time, this might indicate that one of the reasons why historically we've had a lot of ex-forces people in the prison service and perhaps they've stayed within the prison service longer than those who don't have a military background might might be connected to the experience they've had, the hard times they've seen, the difficulties they've had to overcome within their military service, perhaps that um, sets them up quite well for the difficult and stressful experiences that they will have within the prison service. Now, we can't say that um, for sure, but it might well be that in recruitment, this is sort of a known thing from from, um, senior prison staff. They might know through their own experience that if you hire someone with a military background, they're going to stick at the job rather than someone who might be more willing to leave. And, and maybe this finding that, that Jen's been talking through of the fact that the military staff that, that, that we included in our survey had sort of stayed the distance in their military career perhaps would indicate how they would act within their prison service um, work mm-hmm. also. But, no, no, sorry, that's Jen. great. It's a great concept. And I think that's also interesting in the context of the... Um, armed forces more broadly where we are seeing an increase over time in the number of people who are leaving the military early so we are seeing a trend an upward trend towards that voluntary outflow is increasing 
um, as the rationale for leaving the military. So um, again, this is a specific set of, of um, prison staff with a particular set of qualities, so to speak. Um, having said all that, what we found that was really interesting is that um, the majority of um, former military personnel who ended up in the prison service didn't want to be there as their first choice. Um, so we found that only 22% of those with military experience actually wanted to join the prison service, although more than three quarters um, of the people we surveyed had intended to apply for what we might call a protective services occupation, um, the police, uh, the fire service, the border enforcement, um, or similar security services role. Although three quarters had applied um, to a protective service uh, occupation, uh, the majority of those wanted to go into the police or the fire service. Um, so our study suggested that um, our military personnel working in the prison service had kind of drifted, drifted into this, this role. Typically, they took about four years to get to, to the prison service after leaving the military. Um, and so I suppose, arguably, do we see a cohort of people who are, yes, they're very committed people. They, they've got qualities of, 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 of diligence to, uh, to service roles and so on. Um, but maybe they didn't want to be in the prison service at all. You know, they were motivated by job security, great pensions, consistency of, of working hours um, and all kinds of really positive qualities, but maybe um, not intending to be there. And so that was really interesting. And so we, we've explored this in a bit more detail in terms of what that means then for their um, introduction into the prison service, their experiences of training, um, and then a little bit now towards the end of what was quite a, very, a long survey, um, their kind of um, attention to their, their job performance and their, their, um, the way that they, they feel about their time. Um, in the prison service. Um, and that was quite interesting. We found that um, former military personnel were more likely to be punctual. They were more likely to show um, comfort with wearing a uniform, uh, be proud of wearing a uniform. They were quite happy to be using terms like um, sir and miss that we often hear in the prison context. Perhaps things that we would expect um, that align to, to, to military experience. Um, so we saw statistical significant um, difference. Um, what we didn't see is we didn't see um, former military personnel being more likely to be um, appreciative of the kind of hierarchical system that the prison service has, has to offer. Um, that could be because it's a different kind of system. Different ranking systems in the prison service maybe don't map onto onto uh, the same ones that they, they use in terms of the military. Um, so, yeah, we did see, so we saw some core differences between, between particularly early experiences in the prison service and among the different cohorts, both former and um, former military personnel and, and otherwise. So that was really so, interesting, given that they didn't want so, to be there at all. <laughs> so were you meaning, Jen, that they had less respect for the hierarchy in the prison service as compared to having respect for the hierarchy in the services? Sorry, no, just to clarify, what I mean was um, that we asked them if that they, they easily uh, easily appreciated the hierarchical system um, 
in terms of you know that they they had familiar familiarity with um, the provision of orders, so to speak, from more advanced roles and and so on. Um, but they were more no more or less likely to appreciate that system than their colleagues with without military backgrounds. And that's interesting, but I think, you know, I have heard a lot of servicemen to some degree um, denigrate the, the hierarchy above them as people that don't have the experience to do the actual job, but making these these kind of decisions. So in some ways that seems kind of yeah, familiar. I think um, maybe that might have something to do as well with the um, the composition of the cohort of our, of our military cohort. Um, in terms of you know we, we we had a predominant a cohort with predominantly on commissioned officer roles, um, and um, even my brief experiences into into the way the military works in my in my younger days, um, then we do have some some different um, different philosophies going on in relation to commissioned and non commissioned officers, um, but that maps on as well to to their background qualifications. So we didn't see too many higher higher uh, higher ranked or commissioned um, officers coming through into the prison service but that might also be as a result of um, of time served as well um, at a point at which uh, those military personnel had got to a point in their 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 personal lives their their aged lives so to speak um, not to need to go on to secondary careers this is all very fascinating isn't it and um, I'm wondering I've, I've got time in, in mind and I'm wondering where might be the best place to go in the remaining time that we have. What do you guys think? What are the key points that we haven't highlighted? I think there's an interesting point maybe to talk about around the premises in which prisons are located. So Jen has sort of hinted at this a bit already. Mm. I suppose one of the ways in which we've been thinking about the prison is as a military landscape, you know, can, can we think of it in this way? And I suppose we've been thinking about the different ways in which the military influence comes into the, 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 um, the prison. So we know already that there's a lot of veterans in custody. We haven't done any research into them, apart from asking a couple of questions in our survey around whether people had experience of working with veterans, perhaps on veterans' wings and so on, because there has been a a tiny bit of research up to now about how veterans in custody might feel about being worked with by people with a military background. So there's one um, body of thought which which says that this shared background, this brothers in arms type of thing might, might be um, a positive, they might share some experiences, understand one another in, a, a, you know, in that way. Alternatively, it could well be that veterans in custody feel a little bit embarrassed in front of ex-military staff that, that you know things haven't worked out so well for them, despite perhaps the experience that they've had in the military and the advantages that it might have been able to offer to them. So perhaps that's a source of tension, but that's not something that we could, uh, could sort of look in, in, into, it, especially in that way. 
but we were also interested, I suppose, in the ways in which military connections take form in the prisons themselves in a tangible, um, a physical way. So I'm sure that any, anyone who's been into a prison that's been there for some time has seen the military memorials in prisons, the, the plaques that, that there often are up, up to former prison staff who've served in um, um, the military and certain prisons have um, other things in them, sort of mini cenotaphs and, and so on, which we think are quite in, in, interesting. You know, how do these um, come about? Why are they there? What what role can they play and so on? And um, do they play a particular role for ex-military personnel of um, whatever kind now spending time in those buildings? And as Jen has said already, there's there's lots of prisons which are constructed out of or on the site of RAF bases, um, military bases and so on. And we know very um, little indeed about how those transitions took form or how, how important they are, or indeed sort of how significant the transformation of military um, buildings into prison service buildings is. So if you look, for example, at aerial pictures of RAF bases during the war, and then have a look at those which have been converted into prisons in the post-war period. Many of them have kept the kind of H-shaped blocks which were built by the RAF as part of um, the places where uh, the servicemen would, would live. Um, and they've kind of filled in the parade ground with a football pitch or an astroturf or, you know, um, um, whatever, but essentially the layout of those places is the same. And there could be all sorts of, of sort of hangovers, I, I, I suppose, from the military nature of that place in terms of how the, the prison that's now functioning there would, would work, how, how it's op operating. I mean, um, Foucault, who lots of, of um, 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 academic researchers talk about, you know, and his, his work on the prison, he talks about the prison being like a barracks and there being all, all kinds of connections in, in between these spaces. And I suppose that's something further which, which could be explored. And then there's all sorts of questions about, I suppose, the geography of prison location. So there's, you know, quite a bit of debate right now about where new prisons ought to be. Lots of concerns about where new prisons should be built, should they be urban, rural, where, you know, where should they be? And of course, prisons are really expensive things um, uh, to build. They need quite a large plot of land. And if you're looking to minimize the cost of building a new one, you, you would try to build it on land that the government already owns. And lots of that land is owned by the MOD. And that land gets transferred to the MOJ and um, the prison gets built there. Earlier on in time, after the Second World War, the prison um, uh, service expanded, the population expanded. There was a need to quite, quite um, fast kind of get, get new prisons um, working. These were built on RAF bases, largely. So they, 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 they tended to end up being where those RAF bases were, which of course, in the Second World War, they needed to be on large flat areas of land near to the North Sea. So that's why there's so many in Norfolk, Lincolnshire and so on. So we've ended up with a geography of imprisonment that really is a military geography to an extent, that we've built 
prisons or we've constructed prisons within military bases because that's where the military bases were, not necessarily because that's the best place for prisons um, um, to be, if we think about them perhaps being near to courts, near to families and, and so on. And of course that maybe has implications for potentially, particularly in that post-war period, the recruitment of prison staff to work in those bases from a population who perhaps had a military connection through the location of um, the military bases in, in their, their town and so on. So I suppose the more that we think about this, the more of these interconnections there, there turn out um, to be and the more interesting, I suppose, for us this gets in, 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 trying, in sort of trying to unpick those connections and how significant they are. And then I, I guess there's all sorts of national level um, discourse about this. So our most famous prison um, reformers, Sir Edward Ducan, Alexander Patterson and so on, are, are ex-military themselves. Rory Stewart, you know, served his, his, his time for at least some short time um, during this, this period. So I suppose there's, there's all kinds of, of linkages between the prison and the military that we think bear further um, investigation. Can I just ask Dominique, I, I suppose it drew to mind our previous conversation about green space and obviously mm. a lot of... Yeah, absolutely. So I think you're right. So lots of those prisons which are built on military bases, not not all of them, I suppose, because lots of them are built on um, um, MOD land that had never been sort of um, built on in this way, but where, where it had been, um, and where those military bases were, particularly RAF airfields, as you say, they're, they're large. The, the, the prison doesn't always get to have all of the sort of RAF base in it. Some of it is sold off the aircraft um, um, hangars become, you know, storage um, units or, or whatever, but still there's a fair green patch of land there. So I think we do see greener prisons when they're built on these kind of bases but on on the flip side I suppose we're sort of balancing out the potential well-being benefit of that green space by the fact that by virtue of their location these prisons perhaps tend to be further from the conurbations perhaps from which um, the the um, um, incarcerated come so I suppose there's, there's that balance of you know is it better to have a, a green view or to be um, to have frequent family um, visits which might come from being nearer to home and I'm, I'm not sure that I want to say which of those two things is the more um, valuable. It'd be nice to have both. So, so per perhaps you could just ask a final question um, le leading on from that which is you know does that influence and involvement of, of ex-military personnel? Is th does that have any implications for physical and emotional well-being? Um, or staff or or indeed people living in prison gosh i think that's a really really hard question naomi and i think it comes down to the diversity perhaps of this group and how little we understand of the benefits or challenges indeed that military experience might bring to the prison workforce i mean you know each person's different right each person will bring from their military experience a particular set of characteristics and and sort of values perhaps which they then bring to bear within the prison service. There might be an indication as the results that Jennifer was talking through show us that maybe ex-forces personnel 
have a certain level of resilience which enables them to cope better with the stresses of prison work. I'd stress that we can't prove that, we're, we're speculating here, but it might be that their, their work within the armed forces and the reason that they've left the armed forces might indicate this sort of stickability if you like, but it could also be that to an extent some of our, our colleagues might be right in the things that they've previously said about military experience and prison work that maybe people cope with prison work by being quite tough and you know having quite a hard shell and perhaps that can come across sometimes as, as a lack of compassion which then I, I guess would have um, implications for the prisoner population with whom they work. But, you know, to kind of turn that on its head a bit, there's, there's some fantastic research been done by Ben Crew and his colleagues at Cambridge, which looks at prison staff um, cultures. And it kind of takes apart to an extent this notion that the exercise of power is necessarily bad by, by, um, by staff. And it kind of really carefully nuances the nature of power and how it's used and it it indicates that a quite sort of quote unquote um um traditional prison workforce that's um, um boundaried confident can use um humor perhaps banter to an extent to kind of defuse situations holds a line isn't too friendly could be demonstrating exactly the kind of power that makes the imprisoned population feel safe feel that you know, more, more force could be used if necessary, but it's not going to be used unless it's necessary. And some of our findings and the qualitative answers that we had to our survey gave us a sense in which maybe the best of the ex-military personnel were able to demonstrate those kinds of, of qualities, that maybe their military experience gave them a set of skills that enabled them to act in that kind of way, to be clear and boundaried to use humour when necessary, to kind of, and, and perhaps their carriage and bearing, and perhaps some sort of, um, maybe on the part of the imprisoned um, um, population, a sense that their military background might mean certain things, even if it didn't, might, might give them a sort of, might enable them to act in that way that, that um, Ben Crew is, is saying with colleagues is kind of not, an optimal way, but is certainly a valued way forward, and that again might might contribute to the well-being of imprisoned uh, pe people in terms of feeling that the prison staff are on top of the situation, but will be fair, and hence they they feel safer, which I, I guess um, has to be good for you, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's dead right. I think what you're describing is the capacity to produce a feeling of uh, containment uh, and subsequently safety. Mm -hmm. and I think what's what's kind of key for, for us perhaps is is thinking about you know that we're talking I guess primarily about former military staff who are working in the prison service now and the influence they are having on the prison service now but we know you know that that there's been a lot of ex for forces personnel working in the the prison service for a really long time and I would imagine that there's been a, a sort of um, a cumulative effect right o over time that's led the prison service to be the institution that it is now and that 
you know, the characteristics of the military have changed over, over that time. We might be seeing, for example, people coming out of the military now who have been in a more sort of UN peacekeeping type of role, which, which might be different, for example, from people who served in Northern Ireland during the Troubles which would be different again from people who'd seen service in the Second World War and so on. So, you know, the nature of the military, both in terms of the combat experience or the sort of on exercise kind of experience that 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 those um, um, uh, per personnel might have had will have changed. The prison service itself has changed over time. And as I guess has been a relationship between the prison service and the military in terms of handling the numbers of people who are demobilized, right? And the sense in which the Ministry of Justice or its sort of prior forms needs to be a, a destination for the Ministry of Defense for those people who are leaving the armed forces, right? And so I think we, we see, and our, our research has really only started to kind of tap into this, the, the ways in which the percentage of the military population within the prison workforce maps maps onto the demobilization of of, of these um, these um, armed forces personnel over time so we see kind of um, a bulge after Northern Ireland obviously a bulge after the Second World War and so on and I think that 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 perhaps m maybe links into perceived changes in the philosophy of the prison service over time so times at which it's been you know um, supposedly more harsh and then kind of swings to rehabilitation and so on and you know the, the extent to which the movement into it of armed for forces staff might have influenced or indeed been reflected by those different changes i think there's there's you know everything that that we're saying here is kind of stuff that we speculate about but don't quite know the answer to and it's 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 nice i suppose to see since the first paper that we wrote increasing numbers of PhD students taking on um, some of these questions and I, hmm. I hope that they'll get to um, the bottom of the things that we don't yet know the answers to. Thank you. Jennifer, last thought from you? I think that one of the things that um, is really interesting going on from this is not just as um, Dom has really nicely summarised the potential impacts of military careers upon the experiences and perhaps performances of the prison service itself but is perhaps the reciprocal relationship um you know the question of what 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 experiences from the military um might be somehow enhanced or brought out negatively by experiences then in the prison service can a military um, background also trigger particular um, experiences around health and well-being whilst working in prison employ. Um, you know, we know that um, the majority of people who transition from military careers go on to have successful lives. We know that that is that is um, you know proven research. But we also know, given as Dom mentioned, this high percentage of, of vet veterans in custody, um, to use that phrase, we, we know that that military military lives can be stressful. Um, Add that then to what we know about working in prisons. We know that working in prisons is also um, a challenging environment. And so for all of the positives and resilience that we've just described, commitment, adaptability that we see from, 
from uh, ex forces and um, prison staff um, you know what what potential um, problems or challenges um, might this cohort face in terms of dealing with um, traumatic or challenging experiences within the prison service can don't want to end on a negative, so I don't want to, to to mention too many of those things. But you know, we 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 had in our cohort, for example, um, a large number who had experienced com- combat, who mm. had had high numbers of tours of duty, and at those particular times in in conflict zones, with no doubt challenging uh, challenging experiences to recall. Um, so uh, some further work that I think that that we need to do and that we're continuing to do with other colleagues and particularly in the Canadian context is is to think through um, this reciprocal relationship because in order to to maintain positive um, staff performances I think you need to understand the prior career experiences and particularly the traumatic prior career experiences um, of your staff and in this case of up to 25% of your staff Um, and that's a really important thing to learn brilliant that's a good place to stop i think with that thoughtful comment lovely to see you again dominique and very nice to meet you jennifer yeah it's a lovely conversation thank you